tell you, he is a medical doctor and a psychologist, sociologist. And so he's, for 30-some years, been treating kids. He's a pediatrician. So parents bring kids. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And oftentimes, he cites so many cases in there where they bring a child in, and the first thing the parents say, well, the school said they think he's ADHD, and, or the school say, and the schools say that you probably, and they got the drug on their phone, you know, the, the one that you, they suggest, and, the, and they just want the doctor to go, oh, yeah, that's what he needs, and then, good. The parent doesn't have to deal with it. And this is what I've been telling parents for decades now. Parenting is dealing with a lot of things. It's far easier to just give the kids drugs, and that's what they do on a large, large scale today. Matter of fact, 40-some percent higher, more kids are on these drugs than were just eight years ago. Eight years. Go back 16 years, 20 years, 24 years, 1992, and you could hardly find a child in each county in America that was on these kind of drugs or diagnosed with these things. Isn't that amazing? Now, something's happened, and there's stories of kids today. Uh, Sachs has a story in one, in one in, uh, I think, in that, that uh, collapse of parenting on a, uh, a mother who takes her 8-year-old daughter to look at a couple of schools, but her and the husband realize this is the school she needs to go in, and but the kid has a friend across town, so he drives her over and decides, well, the kid wants to go to this school. What am I supposed to do? I want my child happy. And so they bring her to Dr. Sachs. <laughs> he says, well, I don't know. What should I weigh in as a parent? Why would you let her choose? That's what he says. This is what he's saying. His parents are giving kids choice. Choice, choice, choice. And kids are taking the extra mile. They're not stopping. Which they're realizing no one's in authority. And that's extremely dangerous. So he's seeing parents cowing down, bending over backward to accommodate any whim of any child. And, uh, and then when he stands up and has to say, well, I don't see a problem with your child other than maybe they need some authority. Maybe you need to, and he says he has parents just get on him. He told a story in the book about a man had a high school age child, son, and his buddies, they'd hang out, and he noticed he could smell booze here and there. So he bought a breathalyzer for his house. And he's having a party at his house with the kids, and, and he knew they're sneaking booze, so he lined them up, give them a breathalyzer. And one of them boys was beyond. He called the parents, said, I'm so sorry this happened at my house, you know, and I. I, I had suspicions that all these boys, you know, your boy my hanging out and all that they're doing. And he said, I figured you'd want to know. And they said, I sure do. And they came over and got the kid and chewed him out, chewed the dad out. How dare you? <laughs> we want our son to learn to drink responsible is a quote. And it'd be better if he was drinking. And the guy says, I, you know, he's dumbfounded. And they said, they said what most of these parents, well, they're going to do it anyway. So, so, so then they know there's no authority to correct them. 
So parents are losing lots of ground. They're compromising for this, you know, the sake of having to deal with it or the drama. Parents are surrendering their parental duties. And uh, you know who's picking these up? Now, parents are suffering from role confusion. And who's picking up the parental influence is the kids' peers. And there's probably parents seated here who you've had your kids say to you, but my friends or at their house or they do. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. You'll see. Because they think that's the negotiating chip. All my six-year-old friends got cell phones. All the kids. No, you'll find out. You'll see. They got in the, in the, well, I'm not all, you know, I'm saying, is, you know, every teenager here, everyone has teenagers. You've heard it from your teens already. They want to compare what other kids have and the influence. And some 50 years ago, a little over 50, uh, a sociologist from the John Hopkins University think, think tank, he asked a bunch of students. He, he did a great big survey of kids. It was a long uh, lesson and study. And it boils down to this. He'd say, say you want to join a particular club, you know, on school campus, you know, this or that or the other. And all your friends are in it, but your parents, when they, you told them about it, they said, oh, no, we, we don't approve of that. Across the board, 50 years ago, every kid said, well, then I wouldn't join. So... There's a recent study, like a year and a half ago, in amongst our, you know, I don't know where they did this one at exactly, but it's an updated version, same kind of questions, but it was to ask the kids, say your parents found out you were on a social network they didn't approve of, what would you say? It's none of their business was the answer. None of their business. All the kids do it. And uh, would you join? What do you mean would I join? It's not their call. This is the report. This is the response across the board. All my friends are, why would I do that? What, why would I even ask was the first thing. Why would I ask them? Because they're parents. But these are 15, 16, 18-year-old kids today that says, no, what's more important is what my peers do and feel. Years ago, man, a long time. I think I was a youngster when Robert Fulgham, uh, Fulgham, he was a pastor. He wrote a book, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, he probably read it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it goes back in time. But uh, it sounds comical, but I'm going to tell you, uh, this guy, listen, here it comes. Number one, uh, share everything. This is what they used to teach in kindergarten. Back when Wally and me went to kindergarten. We, 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 are, we barely knew how to count, probably, you know, to 10 or something. But we learned these things, Fulgham's rules. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your mess. Don't take things that are yours. These are the rules in, in Fulgham's book. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush the toilet. Live a balanced life, learn some, think some, draw some, paint some, sing and dance and play, and work some every day. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. That was it. See, that's really simple. By now, nowadays, you know, our society has morphed to this. By the time a kid's graduating kindergarten, they should be able to write cursive or something. You know, they should have a, no this that. And I know it's, it's, it's popular. And the fact of the matter is, if you read people, you know, 
Anybody of a conservative, that means an understanding of how things work for centuries, uh, you'll find out that one of the biggest problems, they, this is why they're drugging, uh, I think it's 60, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's 70 some percent of all of the youngsters on drugs are boys. I think it's 78. It's up, way up. And that's why, because boys want to be boys when they're that old. They want to get dirty, they want to get crazy, they want to throw something, they want to have fun, they want to play. And so Fulgham's rules were just, just that. Teach a kid to respect others. Teach a kid to clean himself up. Teach a kid to be nice. Just teach a kid to... See, today, they haven't learned that. It's not being taught like that. Everything's different. And uh, uh, in the mid-1980s in America, the school districts decided the first priority of elementary education should not be socialization, but should be literacy and numeracy. That didn't come along till the 1980s. Before that, this is what we learned in kindergarten, and first grade wasn't a whole lot further. But see, things change because of these people we have coming in. You know who was beginning to enter the scene and establish the rules in the mid-80s? You know who that was? It was the love, sex, free sex, rock and roll bunch from the 60s. They are now running the school boards and school systems. And they decided, you know, these kids need an education, and, uh, right? And we're going to, you know, we're, we have achieved academia. You know, I'll tell you, if you the, our colleges today are run amok. Academia is not what it once was. And so this is what has happened in America. And they changed the curriculum in early elementary, uh, and they've neglected teaching socialization or social skills. Let's just put it that way. It's no longer what's being taught. And so what do kids do is they lose respect. This is why when they're in school, it's common for kids to, you know, know to teachers, you know, uh, in, in, in uh, Dr. Sachs's book, he's got a story of a kid. They just called him Buzz because he would buzz like a bee and run around the classroom, you know, and he would do this to kids and get in their faces, get in the teacher's face, go around. And this is all he did. And they called him Buzz in the book. And uh, no one had ever told Buzz to stop buzzing until they brought him to Dr. Sachs's office. <laughs> so you're not going to do this. Years ago, this brings up a story. Uh, there was a crusade in, in Norfolk probably, man, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe longer. Uh, we had a big crowd. I was there helping. Pastor Mitchell was praying uh, for people in needs. And I was helping screen some of the folks. You know what we're doing? We're not protecting him from people or telling people to pray. But sometimes you get a nut. They just want the microphone or they want whatever, you know. And so uh, here comes a grandma, uh, 25, 28-year-old, and a 6-year-old tyrant that's running the show, a little boy. And I saw him coming, man. I saw his eyes. He's on flame of fire, ready to go. And when they come up, the boys, just, just, the mom's chasing him around everybody, doing all this stuff. And I'm standing there with the grandma, and she's telling us this horrible story. He's ADHD. He's this. He's that. There's nothing can be done. And when the kid got close enough, I snagged him. <laughs> I pulled him in. I said, if you don't stand right next to me, I'm going to hurt you bad. <laughs> he stood there with his hands behind his back. And the grandma's telling this story. I said, do we need to pray for the child? And she goes, I don't know how. And he's standing there. 
No one ever told him stop. Nobody ever dared threaten his world. I wasn't going to hurt him bad. Not in public. No. No, I wasn't going to hurt him bad. But this kid had never been told, you can't do that. The mother just chased him. I'm telling you, bobbing in and out around people. And I said, my gosh, you know, and I'm trying to hold the mic for this uh, the old, older lady, and it's getting ridiculous, and I just snagged him. So that's it. You'll stand right here. So we have today people that never taught their kids how you behave. They have to be taught. And if they're going to only learn from their peers, how many of you know they're not going to learn manners? They're not going to learn respect. And parents are the number one teaching influence. You know, teachers, thank God for teachers, and they oftentimes do their very best. Thank God for Sunday school people and good babysitters that help. But kids will learn best from their parents. It's just the way it is. And uh, we have today just an out-of-order um, society. It's promoting this insanity. Music lyrics are filled with disrespect. They're filled with it. Hatred. I don't know if you've been listening or following the news. Kanye West was just in the White House yesterday, I think, or the day before. Uh, who was he with, the, uh, the former football player? Any you guys follow the news? Hmm? No, not Kaepernick. <laughs> Jim Brown. And he, who happens to be a strong conservative man. Some pretty good values in his life. And they're both concerned about the plight of the prison structure and, and what's happening. In black, to them, black lives matter. But it doesn't fit the left's narrative. And the left is a bunch of people that have never been told no. When they lose an election fair and square, they go crazy. They can't handle it. That's why Hillary speaks out last, this Monday or whatever it was, and says there can't be any civility till we're back in charge. We'd rather have insanity. Because that's, this is, her and Bill were loved children from the 60s, guys. Go look at the pictures. Go back and Google them up. You know, daisies in the hair and everything. Smoking dope, doing cocaine, fornicating. It's, these are the guys. They ended up running the country. And this is the, that's the third generation back I'm talking about that begin to mess, you know, got messed up and they never got reeled in. Some of us out of that generation got saved. Hallelujah. But we have today all kinds of people. And, uh, I, you know, and I know Kanye West, he, had, he was into this in the hip hop thing. I don't know what he's doing. No, he's, doing, he's becoming a businessman. And many on the left side hate him. There was all kinds of things written and said about him. Guy's gotten more bad press in 24 hours than most of us will get in lifetimes, you know. And and so we have that. We have MTV, if they still have it. Whatever, the video stuff, it's pretty nasty. It's in your face. There's no respect. We have the social media sites. They're filled with garbage. People disliking, people unfriending, people saying nasty stuff, people posting. And uh, we have uh, young women posting every kind of picture from fully clothed to semi-clothed with innuendos and whatever. We have the film industry that promoted free thinking. Today, it's just filled with disrespect. And, you know, we have uh, T-shirts and logos on shirts. You ever see young people's T-shirts sometimes? I'll tell you, they're nasty. They ought to be censored. But they wear them in public. It's in your face. 
you know, that's what they think of you because no one's told them that. And now the Disney Channel, I don't watch it. I have never watched it, but not, not just is it bad, but now I got a couple of uh, little clips of this. They actively promote the culture of disrespect, this, uh, this excerpt of the book says. And undermine the importance of parents. Consider the most, these are the most popular shows on the Disney Channel. Uh, one called Jesse. It's a sitcom in which the parents are almost always absent and irrelevant. While the three kids are more competent than the bungling butler and ditzy nanny. That's typical. You know, this is what you got now. The, you know, the kids are running the show. and They're smarter than everyone. Live and Maddie is another Disney show in which a pathetic mom who happens to be a school psychologist is regularly put to shame by her girly girl daughter and her tomboy daughter, both played by the same act actress. Another Disney show, A Dog with a Blog, in which the father is a psychologist, another psychologist, who knows nothing about the behavior of children. He's always bewildered. Isn't that something? They mock the role of parents. Disney's really good at that now. And his children are the best and at mocking the well-deserved mocking of the father happens best by his children. And he's clueless, and it's a recurrent laugh line in the show. The dog is more insightful than the father. That's Disney. Now, I'd be like, Disney's harmless, pastors harping on. No, this is the stuff that kids are growing up with in our society. And, and, and then they don't know why. You know, there's no respect. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery in the least. And so uh, uh, it's, it's really beginning to be tough in a culture that constantly undermines parental authority. So this is what you guys are up against. With you raising kids today. The culture undermines it. You know, I remember when my boys were uh, in grade school and uh, one of them came home and uh, told us that uh, they, were, they were now... Uh, set free to tell the teachers if we hit them. I said, let me go talk to that teacher. <laughs> uh, this is when the whole thing was turning in America back in the 80s, early 80s. And, you know, in and, and, and the mid-80s. And they're going to, you know, we don't want parents spanking their own kids. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of child abuse. I don't believe in that at all. But I believe a child needs to be disciplined when they need to be disciplined. That's when. And so two generations back, parents had full authority. Today, society is undermining that authority. And who's going to fill the void? Their peers. Because there's no authority at school. There's nobody making judgments. I had young people in recent years telling me how, uh, what a, how hard it is in high school. Uh, because Back in the day, if a guy and a girl kissed in the hallway and anyone seen it, they'd end up in the principal's office. Today, it's the popular thing for, to do the lesbian kiss in public, in front of the principal, the teachers, anybody. Nobody cares. In your face. This is what you guys are up against in public schools. Your kids need, really need your help. And today, um, uh, most parents and teachers do not act with authority. They don't have it. They don't command. Instead, they ask, how would you feel if someone did that to you? Well, I don't know. Well, I know there's probably a time you'll say that to your kids, you know, trying to teach them a lesson, a life's lesson. But that's become all, basically all it is anymore in the school systems. There's nothing there that's going to stop them. And for the most part, kids in 
the United States, especially Canada and the West, uh, for the first time in history, young people are turning for instruction, modeling, and guidance, not to mothers, fathers, teachers, or responsible adults, but to whom people to whom nature never intended to place in a parenting role their own peers. I'm quoting uh, Dr. Sachs. He's saying he is his all the time. This guy has 30 years of studying this. He's not just a doctor making a paycheck. This guy cares about our America and the world. He's, he's gone on a circuit, and he's uh, given lectures in I don't know how many countries now. Uh, not all the time, but I mean, he's in recent years because he's puzzled. Do they see the same thing? And he says sometimes he'll go to another country like uh, England or Australia or somewhere and, and teach a whole seminar, open up for questions, and people go, what the heck are you talking about? Because it's not the way we do it here. We're still parents. He said he was totally humiliated in Australia. You know, he thought they had the same problems. And then he does a little research. He finds out something's really wrong in America. Real wrong. And, uh, you know, kids are becoming rude. And this is what Sachs is upset about also, that the parents will bring them in and go, look at him. You know, he's, he's, he can't, he's, he's going to rip your office apart. Sachs said, leave him with me for a minute. Parent gets out of the way. He says, in two minutes, he's got the kids sitting down talking to him because he's the authority in the room. And then he says it happens all the time. Parents are so angry at him because he doesn't give them the prescription. Okay? There's, kids don't just need a choice. They need someone to stand up and say, it's time to get up. It's time to sit down. <laughs> it's time to play. Let's have some more fun. Let's do it. It's time to eat the broccoli. Picking some out of my teeth still. It's time for this, it's time for that. It's time to go to bed. No, we're going to bed. You know, that's what a parent does. And it's not this grueling, nasty, authoritarian deal. But you are the authority. And if you don't get it, you know, and this is, today we have the other issue of obesity and children, you know, overweight. And, you know, parents don't control. They, they see the... The menu to the children. We were just teasing one of my granddaughters tonight. As years ago, when the first time or two she sat at my table, she says, I don't eat that. I don't eat that. I don't like that. I don't like that. We can't find anything she doesn't like anymore. Amen. And she's not obese. But, she's, but she, she likes to eat. I've had parents. Well, I, they don't like broccoli. How do you know? Well, put on the plate. No. Did you make them eat it? Did they sit there until they were hungry? <laughs> No, they had a handful of candy, you know, and after they just had to give them something, you know. Gave them more milk, gave them this. Well, you know, they won. I remember disciplining my sons at times when, when we had some issues to deal with. And, uh, you know, little crazy men, you know, uh, you know, I got the belt and it's like, whoa, man, they're crawling up over the ceiling, over the bed, around. And uh, what are you doing there, Dad? You know, it sounds like you're killing them. And I hadn't done anything yet. Just waiting for them to hold still so I can get a good shot. Because there's one spot the belt goes. Not anywhere. I don't just whip swinging around. And I can remember telling my sons, slow down, stop. I'm going to win, okay? Might take two more minutes, but I'm winning here. I'm the adult. They didn't hate me for it. You know? And you know what? They learned they're not the authority in life. You have to reel yourself in. So there's this thing called food control. And, and Sachs writes about that. He's always got... Uh, not, not, this is the other issue. Parents bringing in kids overweight. I don't know what's wrong. It must be this, must be that, must be this, you know. And uh, 
And he began, let me talk to the child for a minute. <laughs> what do you like? Ice cream. What do you like? More ice cream. <laughs> what do you like? Candy, snacks, Doritos, chips, you know. And, and it's not a problem. The parent's missing something. The parent. Do me a favor, one parent said. Could you just try a bite of your green peas? And so the kids take things, such appeal literally, he says. If this girl condescends to eat a bite of green peas, she's likely to believe she's done her father a favor. Now he owes her a favor. You know, that's how their little minds will interpret that. Please, just do this for me. Well, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be I've made food. You're to eat it. This is what we eat. So American kids today are also less active. And the reason, who can imagine why they'd be less active? Video, tablets, phones. Kids today don't sleep the right amount of hours. You know, some parents just let them go to bed with some device. And they don't know why. You know, and Leonard Sachs, he's got people in there all the time. The kids always... Lethargic, this and that, and they find out, crack the door open at night, they're in there, you know, just. And so I'm you know, shorting out their little brains. And matter of fact, if you would please save your kids from this, you really ought to read. There's a simple, good read, Glow Kids. Glow Kids is just, you know, very, very good to help you understand their little brains aren't made to, to view the screen all the time. Matter of fact, since I started prepping this and doing some researches recently, I'm shocked at the consequences we're finding out in the sociologic world and, and, and psychological realm of it all today. It's phenomenal what's happening to kids' brains. So yeah, they can, yeah, but they can't function in society. They've dug ruts. They suggest you don't let any kids play any kind of repetitive games until they're in their mid-teens, if it then and then limit the hours. You know why? Because your brain is developing. It's forming. This is why everyone here probably is marveled at the fact that you could take a little child and put them in a bilingual atmosphere and they're bilingual in two months. That's, how can a kid, and you take some old guy like me with a dried up hunk of cheese in there, you know, it just isn't gonna be refitted. Very easily. Can't teach an old dog new tricks to a certain degree. But see, the kids' minds are impressionable. And when they grow up on that dopamine release, uh, Grand Theft Auto and all the killing games and the games you play with people you never met before and you, you fill a role and you become a character and you grow up with that, that's what you know. And then today they're having great problems with young adults who don't know how to get out of a house and go get a regular job, how to interact with people in society. This is why there's dating sites everywhere. But I, I've always marveled at that. How, how can you meet someone you never met? I mean, you're doing online. Yeah. What about real life? I want to live with someone I'm married to. I want to know them. I want to interact. I want to see. And this is because their brains have been fitted this is what triggers the synopsis in there and sends the, releases the dopamine and the feel good and the, and the satisfaction of life. And it, it gets everything moving. This is because they've dug these furrows through their brain. Their brain has been instructed and branded to feel this way and live this way. 
It's dangerous. You got men today that don't know how to turn off video games. They don't know how to turn off porn. They don't know how to turn off all kinds of things. They just have no willpower left. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Years ago, uh, in 1965, only some 80% of American households had a TV, just one. Uh, I don't think I've got the statistics for today. Nope. Dang it, I forgot to copy that out. But today, it's, off. it's not just TV. Today, kids, every kid's got a device. People have access to anything and everything constantly. And they're filling their minds, and they got the devices in the room. And uh, here it is. Uh, at age 10, an average American kid is getting... Uh, Nine hours of sleep a night at age 15, seven hours at age 17, 6.9. And it goes worse and worse as it goes on. And, uh, and so British kids, on the other hand, are actually getting slightly more sleep compared uh, with the British kids of 20 years ago. But America is flip-flopping. I doubt that Britain's going to keep up with that because it's, it's loose over there, many of these things. So what... Uh, Sachs suggests suggests here is, and other pediatricians, he says, advise the same, that there be no screens in a kid's bedroom. Let me tell you, it's better even to keep them out of adults' bedroom. Go to sleep when you go in there. No TVs, no mobile phones, no computers, no tablets. They didn't say kids should not ever use these devices, but they should never be in a bedroom. A bedroom should be for sleeping. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I have uh, reeled myself in since I've been looking at screen addiction and stuff. And I'm not addicted, but I'm telling you, I, I'm, reason I'm not addicted because I said, boy, I'm not turning that on near as much. I don't need to check my email 10 times a day. How many of you ever got a buzz on your phone be, before you put the phone down? You were three or four other places. You didn't need to go. Or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour. Or on the computer, same thing. Young people, no energy. They're being drained and zapped. And so this is a horrible, another horrible effect. And what's, where this ties into my first part of this study is the fact that while kids are being wired into this, they're not wired to their parents. They're wired into that world where all the other kids are. And so what's important to them is what the other kids are doing. And the parents are giving out, losing, losing, losing their leadership. He, um, he does these workshops uh, for children and teenagers. And back in 2001, uh, he started them. And in the workshops, he says, they're not sermons or uh, di- uh, didactic rep- uh, presentations, but conversation. I ask, and I call on those who, who will raise their hands, and I ask the kids to respond to their peers' comments. One question I have regularly asked since 2001, since he started these seminars amongst kids, what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time when you're by yourself and no one is watching? Now, from 2001 through 2010, I heard lots of different answers. But since about 2011, one answer has become the prominent amongst American kids, especially affluent kids, kids that have some means in their home. And what do they want to do when they have time, no one else is around? Sleep. He says it's the number one answer. 
You know why? Because they're so connected to everything else. Whenever they're not sleeping, they're just wore out. So this is zapping our culture, and it's, it's, it's helping create this culture of disrespect. Parents have lost their authority, and it's now just what's popular. It's just what's convenient. It's just what everyone else likes to do. And, uh, you know, we have this ADHD and, and, and these, these kids that are drowsy and these kids that are on a function and these kids that feel anxiety and these young people that are going through it. And the answer is, and this is why so many of these parents just bring their kids into Dr. Sachs's office. They're bringing them in and saying, medicate them. I have read. This is a common, very common thing he hears. I've already read. I read, you know, this drug. I've read about this symptom. I've read. I've, and they're ready. They bring me. Do my kids. And he says, he has a real problem because parents don't like him. He says, all they need is a dad, a mom. They need someone that says, this is the way. And they're not getting it. This ADHD thing is just incredible. If you would play fair, if you teach your kids from the start, don't hit people, put things back. So what they hit people, give them a spanking. That's what they got that for. Clean up your mess. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. It, it, now, it's been three or four decades since Fulgram had wrote that. And uh, if parents were turning back to that today, it could change our society. But they don't teach it. And the schools don't teach it. And one parent brought their kid into his office, the, the doctor's office, and they said, he's, uh, we're pretty sure he's got rapid cycling bipolar disorder or some other neuropsychotic explanation for bad behavior. And uh, they, these, the parents are coming in and tell, they've already diagnosed it. This is what he's got. And, and you can imagine this doctor. This doctor's a straight shooter, man. I get a kick out of reading this stuff. I can just see him just looking at the parents. What the heck? And he said, I explained to those parents, it's normal for an eight-year-old to swing through a few different moods in a half an hour. It's okay. Sometimes they can change moods in five minutes. That's not rapid cycling bipolar disorder. That's being eight years old. The job of the parent is to teach self-control, to explain what is and what is not acceptable, to establish boundaries and force consequences. This guy, I'm quoting him. He said, two decades ago, we called that common sense, but we can't call it that anymore because the parents get in an uproar when we do. As recent as 1994, it was rare, rare for any individual under 28 years of age to be diagnosed with bipolar. Matter of fact, you can go back into the 80s and most sociologists, psychologists never heard of the term. It wouldn't exist. But things today are much, much different. He said, we have a whole lot of kids coming in, and the parents have already diagnosed them, and they want, and, it's, and he says, it's so much easier for any clinician to find it easier just to tell the parent, yeah, it's a brain disorder, rather than to tell them to change their parenting approach. Now, I've told you I've had a lot of parents over the decades of ministry, last couple of decades since the, since the 90s, say, hey, I think my child, what do I do with that school? The school said, the school said, that's the common thing. The school said they probably, and I have in every single case advised no drugs. And you know what? 
Some of these kids are sitting here tonight and their parents are doing okay. Survive. And they did well. It's a quick fix medication. And he said that's one of the problems. Many parents are just happy with it and they don't know why, you know, the kid is, seems to be in control. Well, that's because the kid is in control. And the child is ruling the home. 30 years ago, 20 years ago, he says, you used to be able to say your son is disrespectful, he's rude, he exhibits no self-control, you need to teach him basic rules about civilized behavior if you're going to stay at this school. Today, the parents come in and threaten a lawsuit. Just like the guy that called, the parents that called the parents and said, your son's drinking, we're sorry, this happened. And they got mad at the man. Not for the kids drinking, but that he would have the audacity to say it was wrong. No parenting there. Sachs tells the stories of kids that came in his office and, uh, uh, um, you know, and he's had to tell uh, the parents this is not a medical condition and have parents curse him out. Curse him out. He says, because the problem is when I say there's a big difference, the difference between saying your son is disrespectful and saying your son may meet criteria for a psychiatric disorder. The big difference when I say your son's disrespectful the burden of responsibility falls on the parent and the child. With that responsibility comes the authority to do something about the problem. But when I say your son may meet criteria for a psychiatric disorder, the burden of responsibility shifts away from the parent and the child and the prescribing physician, and all it does is it just adds to a burgeoning medical psychiatric counseling complex and drugs. So what should we do to change his behavior? That's not the question. Usually is what kind of medication can we have? Now, this is what is common and accepted and taught all around us. So you as parents today, this is the driving force on the other side. And it, you know, as Christian parents, you teach these kids. In the last eight years, it was a 42% uh, increase of diagnosis and medication of kids with ADHD. Kids didn't get shorted out in the last eight years. Parents gave up. So the answer here is someone has to take control, not the child. Parent, you have to take control. Schools won't do it for you. Uh, they'll advise, take them to a doctor, uh, shift the authority. Uh, he can't help it. He's got this problem. You can't do nothing about it, and uh, so you can, and you have to, because no one else will. You're the parent. So taking control. Uh, you know, I've had uh, parents, and I've read, uh, you know, where parents say, well, my child's strong-willed. I like that. They make a lot of their own decisions. It's going to be good in the long run. They have to learn how to make those decisions. Seeing People just say, well, that's a strong-willed child, that's good, you know. But it's not necessarily good. You are going to get control. You need to learn how to command. This is, this is it. How many of us, we don't have to raise hands, but how many times have there been incidents in life where we just told the child, it's because, that's why. That's all they're going to understand at that age, you know. They're not going to sit down and reason with a two-year-old. 
this is the seat of reason right here for a two-year-old. It's the backside, you know. It's not, they don't understand. But parents can actually train their own kids in the art of parental manipulation by beginning to bargain with them. And, okay, okay, you do this, I'll do this, you do this, I'll do that. And you, you, you'd be amazed. I mean, it, kids are sharp enough to learn that behavior. So there's nobody in control. It's a bargaining match. We'll reason this out. Then every meal, snack, craving, sweet, dessert, more sweets, it's up for negotiations. And that's a dangerous thing. Uh, Sachs, Dr. Sachs recommends command. Don't ask, don't negotiate. Now, that's where parents, some parents go, ooh, that sounds so totalitarian. Well, give the kid the keys and let them run life. They're not ready for it. They can't. If you really love your child, the Bible says you, you won't spare the rod. You'll teach them. You'll instruct them. He had a child brought into his office. This is a funny story. Six-year-old daughter. The child had a fever and a sore throat. I examined the ears, which were fine. And next, I, I said, I'm going to take a look at your throat. Before I could look in the throat, mom asked the child, do you mind if the doctor looks in your throat for just a second, honey? Afterwards, we can get some ice cream. Uh, he's thinking, wait a minute. I just, I'm examining the child. Okay, open up. Before he could say open up, wait, do you mind? We get ice cream later if you let him do this. And the child proceeded to have a fit. That was the cue. Going to get my way. Going to get. Uh, I'll bark. I'll, no, I'll have a steak. Thank you. I mean, you know, I'll have two. I'll get ice cream today and tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's the bark. And this is the way many parents have done today. And so he said, this went on to become a ordeal. And what should have been a two, a, a simple two-second exam, became a major ordeal, lasting minutes. In more than two decades of practice, I learned the key to effective examination of a sick, sick child is simply do the exam. You don't negotiate with a, a six-year-old. In two sentences, the mother changed my statement into a negotiable request, turned the negotiation also into a bribe. The authority of the grown-up was undermined when you ask a six-year-old, do you mind if we do this? Especially a six-year-old that's been groomed to think, okay, I'll say I mind, then I get my way. And I get what I want. I can have it my way. Now, as your child gets older, explanations become more important. You've got to teach kids. Now, that was a six-year-old, probably was absolutely was groomed that way. All the, but, you know, so if you've been raising your kids, by the time they're six, you can explain, look, we're going to the doctors. He's going to do this that. Let him do it. I'll be sitting right there. That's how we do it. So, you know, it's not this totalitarian thing. You can't explain to a kid, talk to a kid. Uh, but you have to, this is where we're coming into the, the answers for these problems, is you, you work with a kid. You teach your kids. You instruct them. Not just discipline. You know, I've known folks, it's just discipline, discipline, discipline. You know, well, discipline, yeah. And, and discipline is always at the boundaries of rebellion. If it's rebellion, discipline. If it's, you know, being bad, 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 discipline. If it's a kid being a kid. My wife doesn't know it yet, but I broke some very nice dishes downstairs today. She just found out. I tried not to. I didn't do it on purpose. But I mean, if a kid spills something, knocks something over, I've been with parents over the years, you know, many years now, fellowship or here or there. 
And kids just, be, they're not being a kid, you know, just throwing themselves on the table or something. They just do something a kid does. And I've seen parents go crazy over the kid, grab him, you know, yank him out, you know. He's just a kid. She's just a kid. On other occasions, though, that kid's messing around, messing around, messing around after, after a dozen rebukes and don't spill. If you don't spill that, you can get ice cream. You can go. They're the negotiating. Then the kid, you know, that kid needs a spanking. There's boundaries. And, uh, you know, so you begin to take control. Um, you eat together. And I know a lot of families here, this is something you practice. That's wise, man. Eat with your kids. Have meals together. Do the family thing. You know, that so much can take place at a table. Conversation, get to know each other. And just insisting that everyone eats. Now, this is another thing. See, this is negotiable in many of the homes in the world where it even is, is a home. Where even when there is a mom and dad, sometimes this is totally, according to Sachs, Dr. Sachs, he says, this is something totally negotiable. This, this happens here, it happens there, but not, oh, you'd be surprised. I'm not hungry. I'm just going to throw a burrito in the microwave. Good. I'm just going to do the same, you know. And I'm, you know, it's, it's not a family thing. So family has to be formed and has to be uh, put together, and there has to be structure. And you've got to begin to make connections here. You've got to put love into it. Peer approval does not help a kid. Parental approval, parental instruction, parental guidance is what will help them in every way. And uh, I think it was Tough Love was one of uh, Dobson's books, you know, on disciplining kids and stuff in years past. But, you know, people will say, I just want my kids to be happy. You know, I just, I, I just want, they, they live in this world. But if you teach them how to be, a, how to show respect, Fulgham's rules. Teach them that when they're little. They grow up, they're happy. They, they'll, they'll get stuff thrown at them in school. They'll have people make a slander. They'll have someone hit them. They'll have things break in life. They'll have disappointments. But they'll know how to handle it. They won't need to be drugged. They won't need to be, you know, in college till they're 38 years old and still not know how to get a job. That's happening in our world big time. So it's a phenomenon, you know, that we have today. We have young adults that aren't working. And as recent, it was as, two, as 2000, this country ruled all countries with young people, uh, you know, just be leading the way. But it took 10 years. It was in 2011. The United States went from number one to number eight. And it's very interesting because all of the other uh, countries that were on there stayed there and moved up and switched a few places but went up. But we went to the back of the bus. We have people today that don't know how. They weren't taught this. They were just taught to be happy or excel. One of these parents had a son who uh, his, his story was he, he loved video games. He was good. So, you know, the thing on, you know, even the face thing and the glasses or whatever, video games. And uh, the parents, when they had him before Dr. Sachs, told him, they said, well, it's the one thing he loves and he's good at. We just want him to be happy. You know, he's one of these guys who grows up never able to do anything in life. Another young man wanted to do this stuff, and his parents said, no. You know what he said? He said, everybody else has it. 
All my friends go to this site. It's a game site. Everyone does. He was young, and they said, no, 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 no. Maybe after you're old enough to get a job and buy your own game, you can do it. They waited on him, and I've seen this personally. People I know are home, too. You know, no, 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 until you're old. And you know, when they got old enough, it, what, they didn't get hooked. But some of these young people get drilled into that. They fall into that trap, and they don't know how to get out. And so if you love your kids you'll stand up and lead them. You'll make the stand. We have a world around us in America where uh, men are becoming effeminate and, uh, and uh, they're, they're, we have a whole young society of snowflakes. You know what that is? They, they just melt down. They can't deal with life. They can't deal with drama. They can't deal with a job. Job is drama. No, it's work. It's what you get paid for. They can't deal with things. They don't know what to do. Anything goes wrong. It has to be someone to blame. This is what's wrong in our, on the left in our political arena today, is everything is someone else's fault. If you change, I'll be happy. If you do something else, my life is better. Make your life the best it can be. Get a hold of God. Get to know him. Let him be your father and learn to help your kids. They're becoming fragile in our society. Young people, just fragile. Somebody, one of these doctors called them teacups. They're pretty to look at, but they fall apart the minute they get dropped. So you got to begin to consider these things I'm talking about. And then you got to begin to take a solid look at what matters. And uh, what matters is those kids, you only have, legally you have 18 years to put your imprint on them teach them, help them, bring them under the guidance of the scriptures, uh, teach them to respect others, teach them to be honest, teach them to work, teach them to learn. And you have to begin to teach certain things. You've got to begin to teach them what's important, what's important. And the love of a parent is an unconditional thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, a, uh, it's, it's something that the kids need. The love of a parent is something they could never get from society. No peers, nobody, no teacher, no no one. No one can give them that. A love of parents, when I say it's, uh, uh, what did I, I used the word a minute ago, it's, I just used it. You guys weren't listening either. Unconditional. It's unconditional. You know, I raised three kids. They weren't always angels, just most of the time. Oh, they were boys. And you know what? I love them, whether which kid I had, you know. It's a good one or the bad one. Say, still love them. Which one's showing up today? Most of the time, pretty good. They were kids. And they were my boys. I love them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You love your kids, not because they did. Oh, you got A's. All right, I love you. Straight up, I love you. That's, that's a reward. That's it. That's what makes me proud. You know what? Uh, sometimes we just had to help a kid over a hump. We still loved them, but the, you don't get that from your peers. And see, it's the peer that is influencing everything today. And so you don't get that from your peers. You don't get that kind of love from a report card. You don't get it from anything. And it's the parent's job, Proverbs 22, 6, to train up a child in the way he should go. And it's very, very interest, or important that you and I do this. 
that we know how to do it, we learn how to do it, we do this properly uh, because our kids are going to need our leadership and guidance in this. This is what they got to have. And yet they're fragile today, so fragile in our American society. It's horrible. And we got to teach them what matters. And number one, what matters is self-control. There's incredible research done on the issue of uh, what, what, what matters. Okay, when they did this uh, with a number of kids um, at 11 years of age, they studied these kids, and they were looking at the best, best predictor of a satisfied, victorious overall lifestyle. So 20 years later, they checked up on these kids. They're 31 and 32 years old. And what did, this is what they looked at when they were 11 years old. They studied their IQ, each child, their grade point average. How many of you know these are important things? We, we, we want to know. Kids got a good IQ. We want, we want the best grades. They studied IQ, grade average, self-control, openness to new ideas, friendliness. And they studied all these things. They rated these kids at age 11. They researched the whole bunch of them. They stayed in touch at age 32. The most complete, satisfied, victorious people. They weren't on drugs. They weren't drinking. They weren't divorced. They were this or that. You know who it was? It was the kids that learned self-control at age 11. Maybe had the worst grades in the bunch. They can control themselves. Who taught them to control themselves? The teachers? Their peers? Their parents? So you got to realize what matters. What matters, you know, is that you teach your kids important, important things. You teach them to be conscientious. You know, this is something that a lot of kids aren't today. I mean, to tell you, you, you see kids in society, they don't, they can care less what anybody else thinks. And it's not a matter of us, you know, making sure we look a certain way. People think well of us. They, it's just, this is a, this is just a fact Conscientious individuals enjoy a higher socioeconomic economic status on average compared to less conscientious individuals. Benefits of conscientiousness with regard to health can't be attributed to socioeconomics. It is just because people are conscientious. They care. They care. They pay attention. Benjamin Franklin said, early to bed, Sleep in late. No, he said early to rise. Some of you knew that was coming. You just really were squirming. Early to bed, early to rise is important. It makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. See, going to bed early isn't hardly heard of today. People are checking one more site, one more email. They're, you know what? You can read about the screen glow. You know, then you close your eyes and your brain has still got an imprint of the screen. It's buzzing in your brain. It's medical science today. It's, it's, it's rewiring people. And it's, it's a frightening thing. And so, you know, you, you lay there. Maybe you get your six, seven, eight hours laying down, but you haven't rested like you should. The brain didn't shut off the things. I was reading some stuff recently, man, uh, of, of people that research this stuff. They says they will not, they have a shut off time in their home. These are not Christian sites and articles. I'm reading doctor stuff. There's a cutoff time. One guy says he takes a, a Sabbath every week, a three-day Sabbath, him and his household. And, and I read everything I could read about this guy. I don't see any trace of Christianity. He just says, no, we turn off everything. Three days. He said, I met my family. It's wonderful. 
So people think good grades is important. It is. You know, make your kids, teach them to study, help them if you can. Teach them to be good people is what you need to teach them. Teach them how to respect, how to pay attention to others, how to care, how to love. Teach them about important things. It wasn't financial status that really is rewarding on people. Do you know people can be making $100,000 a year today and still live in a very disgusted mode in life? Others can make 40 and 30 and be happy. Somebody's learned something about life that someone else didn't learn. And so it's not just in what their financial status becomes, what kind of education they've got, but you've got to teach your kids to be good people as best you can. Train them up in the ways they need to be trained. Teach them what's important. Teach them how to do life. Got a couple other things I'm going to turn to here real quick. I got them in the back of my notes. Everything from uh, marketing, advertising, and, and other things of that nature today have all come out and uh, uh, taught kids that you are number one and you need to be number one. Uh, but you know what? If you teach your kids humility, teach them humility, teach them to honor others, respect others. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must do. But above all these things, put on love. It's the bond of perfection. This is not only stuff that adult Christians need to learn, but we need to teach our youngsters. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, in which you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I had one of my little grandchildren come, the little guys just the other day, and uh, right from Sunday school, he says, Grandpa, God's the Father. And I thought he was going to have an aneurysm because he was trying to remember. And, and, you know, Jesus is the Son and the Holy Spirit and that is the Trinity. It's like, whew. He learned it. He learned it. And I, the reason he said it to me, because I often ask I'll hear some of your little ones too, what you learned today? Because what, what, you know what? 